Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. Welcome back sustainable stories podcast. My name is Jenna Inglot and I will be your host for today's episode. I am very excited today to have with me Melanie Bolt who is co-owner of Pineview Farms All Natural Meats um, in the Saskatoon area. So I'm really excited to have you here Melanie. Thanks for joining me. Well it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So just to start us off Melanie, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and, and what you do? Okay. Well, I'm a Saskatchewan girl through and through. I was born and raised here just west of Saskatoon, went to university at the U of S, always said I'd never marry a farmer, and I did. And so love takes you in places you'd never expect to go, but in all the best ways. And so I married Kevin Bolt a long time ago, and we started this farming adventure Um I worked off farm in sales and marketing for a number of years, and then we took the dive together to farm full time. And that's uh, shortly after that is when Pineview Farms came into existence. And that's what we've been doing ever since. We've raised a family here and are growing a business on the farm. That's awesome. So is your background, um, you said you studied at the University of Saskatchewan, is your background agriculture, Melanie? It actually isn't. I, um, my grandparents farmed and I grew up in a small town, so I knew about farming and had some experience, but never really immersed fully. At any rate, I have my commerce degree, or I guess you could call it a business degree now with a major in marketing. Okay, cool. And then um, later on, I pursued, I, yeah, later on, I pursued my professional agrologist designation uh, with the SIA because I ended up working in agriculture because being married to a farmer, it seemed like the best career choice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Perfect. So can you tell us a bit about Pineview Farms? So I'm, I'm I would say, surface level familiar with Pineview Farms, um, but can you tell us a bit about the farm and sort of how that came to be, um, you know, where it originated and how long you guys have been farming? Okay, well, this is our 23rd year here at Pineview Farms. I can't believe it's gone that fast. It feels like maybe 10 years. At any rate, way back a long time ago in 1998, Kevin and I were farming with his parents. We were grain and cattle farmers, traditional conventional farm. We had just dispersed our dairy herd. So we were kind of making a transition and Kevin and I were figuring out how are we going to farm, make a living and support Kevin's parents in retirement as they eased out of farming. So we began to look for more land to buy because, you know, why not get bigger? That's how farms make money, right? Get bigger. And we started, the gentleman who owned this piece of land we're actually on now had a quarter section for sale. And so Kevin went to see him. And we never actually bought that quarter section of land. Instead, the words, well, is your farmyard for sale? Came out of Kevin's mouth for no particular reason. And the farmer said, well, of course it is. And we ended up buying this farmyard that was equipped with a poultry barn, a small butcher shop, and a yard site, of course, a home, a place to live. And uh, we had never raised chickens before. We had never processed chickens, really. I mean, we both grew up on 
in rural life. So we had all butchered a few chickens, but nothing really of any scale. But we thought, hey, how hard can this be? We'll just fit it in between seeding and haying and harvest and uh, we'll butcher a few chickens. This will be our diversification and won't this be grand? And it'll give us a place to live, which was other, another thing we needed because Kevin's parents weren't ready to move off the farm. So it's really rather serendipitous how we ended up here. And in no way was it well planned, but sometimes maybe that's the best way to dive into something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, typically those are where the best things happen. So that's really interesting that your story started that way. So, okay, so you, you, you know, you bought the farm It had these few, you know, different things that you hadn't done before. Um, so you started with chickens by the sounds of it and and you guys have diversified further as well with Pineview Farms, right? So can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, all that Pineview Farms encompass, encompasses? I know you said chickens um, and the butcher shop as well, but um, yeah, how does the farm as a whole work and, and what all do you have? Okay, so uh, my husband, Kevin, um, has his animal science degree or diploma in ag from the University of Saskatchewan and is a gifted animal livestock guy. So um, anyway, we have chickens here on our farmyard and we raise all the chickens from start to finish ourselves. And our chicken barns are about 300 meters away from our butcher shop. And when we first started, we did everything ourselves. We were already raising cattle. We had steers and we thought, well, if we're selling people chicken, they probably eat beef too. So let's add beef to the mix. So we did. And then people started asking us for bacon. Well, of course we can do that. We can raise some pigs. Let's do that. And we just started adding these product lines organically. And uh, then we realized that this thing was getting out of hand, that um, in order to grow, we didn't have all the labor and capital we needed to do it at a pace that was quick enough to meet the market demand. And we realized that it would probably be better for us to look to our community for some partnerships. So we ended up partnering with other local farmers to raise steers and hogs and lambs for us. And eventually turkeys as well, because turkeys are a supply managed industry like chickens. And we didn't have quota for that. So we needed to work with someone who had quota. So we ended up creating a network of what we call producer partners. We all follow the same all natural protocol um, so no growth promoting medications or hormones, no animal byproducts in the feed. Uh, we give animals plenty of room to roam. They have access to fresh air, sunlight in the outdoors, weather permitting. Chickens don't go outside when it's minus 40. Um, and so that's kind of how we grew. And then we started adding sausage to the mix because we needed to find outlets for the trim. And we just grew organically in steps over time. And in concert with that, we also grew our processing plant. So we outsourced a lot of processing initially to other custom slaughter plants in our neighborhood. But eventually we started doing more of that ourselves as we grew in scale and realized maybe we wanted to do more of these things ourselves, which also meant hiring more employees. So it's just been like iterations of Pineview over 20 years, 20 plus years. And it seems like every few years we take a little bit of a leap. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's interesting. So a few times throughout that, uh, Melanie, you, you said the term market. Um, and I'm curious how, um, you know, how do people get your product? Where, where do they, you know, where do they get it? Um, and how has that process evolved over time? I know it's, it's been growing. You see lots of sort of market scale farms um, becoming more popular again, you know, historically, they were obviously very popular, but um, can you talk a bit about that 
transition or, or what the market process is like for Pineview? Sure. Well, when we started, we were small and we still are small in the big scheme of food in Canada and in the world. Um, but we started marketing directly from our farm, from a mail list that we bought, that we got when we bought this farmyard. And word of mouth is just the thing that we've tried to increase over time. And then with my sales and marketing experience um, prior to that, I understood a little bit about how distribution works. And so we realized that if we wanted to create a sustainable level of cash flow that was going to allow both of us to work here and not have to have off-farm jobs to support our farming habit, we would need to scale up to a minimum level that would allow us to put the cash flow through the business that we need. So then we looked at distribution to health food stores, restaurants, local co-ops and things like that. And we really looked for those niche markets where we knew that we could fill a need that no one else was serving. Part of that was also for us to become provincially inspected, so to upgrade our plant. So that was one of the leaps that we took in early, I guess it would be 2002, 3, 4, so that we could distribute to health food stores in Saskatoon, Regina, pretty much across the province. And so that wholesale distribution really undergirds our business. At the same time, we didn't want to lose our retail market of serving families and households and individuals whom we come to count as friends. And uh, so we do serve those two markets pretty much equally. Okay. Okay. And I saw, okay, that's interesting. So you do, you do both still. And I saw on your website when I was just perusing in preparation for this, uh, this chat with you, Melanie, um, there's a button called subscriptions. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. What, what is that? Well, subscriptions were a brainchild from about four years ago now. And I was just, when I was looking at how people are purchasing and what they're doing, people want simple, they want it convenient, and they want it delivered to them. And so I looked at other industries or other product lines. We were starting to see all these subscriptions online, like the Fab Fit Box or the Gillette Razor Club or whatever. And I thought, huh that might work for meat. And then at the same time, all these Hello Fresh and uh, Blue Apron and right. The Good Chef and all those were starting up. So that was just the, the impetus to think about how could we create something that's direct from the farm, straight to the consumer, that's convenient, that's delicious, that allows them to save time. Um, and the subscription, the meat subscription became that thing. And so that's grown into a quite a large chunk of our retail business now. Um, and we have monthly subscribers who get a box of meat delivered to their door the first week of every month. We send recipes along with that. So we're only providing the protein component. Um, but then that just makes it easier for people. Like I know the hardest thing for me in cooking is figuring out what to make. Like it's the mental work of preparation for cooking that I think is the big hurdle for people. And so we want to help people solve that problem and then eat locally as part of that. So that's where the subscription came from. And it's a lot of fun. And um, yeah, it's worked out really well for us. And it's just part of this whole thing we've seen over the span of 20 plus years of how cooking has changed, how households are changing, and how we as farmers and producers and processors and marketers have to adapt with that. And that's the ongoing challenge. Yeah, for sure. An ongoing challenge. But you've definitely found a, a creative way to fill it and I agree I 
I love to cook and, you know, we have a big garden and we raise meat here as well and, and have lots of wild meat, but that is for sure a challenge is you're, there's lots going on in your week and you might have a freezer full of stuff or, uh, you know, you have, you have meat, you have vegetables, but then the creativity involved in coming up with something to cook that's, you know, enjoyable and everyone's going to enjoy. Um, yeah. So that's very cool that you also provide some recipes and things. And I know for me, that's, that's always helpful to, you know, you get a new cut of meat and you're thinking, okay, well, this is really cool, but I don't know what to do with this. So um, you've kind of filled that, that need as well. Right. And people are learning to cook nose to tail, not just to use the sirloin steaks, but how do you use um, a cross rib or a flat iron or a short rib? A lot of these cuts are wonderful, but people just don't know how to use them. And if we can help make that simpler and easier, all of a sudden, we're using all of the animal, which makes everything just work together so much better and is more sustainable, really. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad, I'm glad you you brought that up. I think it's something that's growing and people are aware of it that, you know, for if we're for eating meat, we should be using as much of the animal as we can in, in what we eat. But again, as you alluded to, it's not always that simple and and people you know especially if if cooking is not something that they do and and butchering is not something that they do then knowing what to do when you get this package of of something in your box that you're not familiar with it, it's hard to yeah it's hard to even know where to start so that's great that you guys that that's a part of what you do as well um so Melanie, you've talked about this a little bit, but, uh, you know, you mentioned the words, uh, you know, like naturally raised and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, sustainability or, or um, you know, naturally raised environmental consciousness? What does that look like for Pineview Farms? Okay, so maybe I'll frame it in a little bigger context to back in our early days in the late 90s, early 2000s, gosh, I'm dating myself here. But that was a time of severe drought for us in most of Saskatchewan, but particularly in our area. And here we were new farmers in debt up to our eyeballs, because we had just bought out Kevin's parents and we our grain crops are eating by grasshoppers if the drought didn't get them first. And then uh, low commodity prices and we realized that what we were doing as grain farmers was economically unsustainable. We were like gerbils on a wheel trying to grow more and more, produce more and more, um, but the only thing that did was create more expenses for us and more debt. And then in the meantime we had this fledgling little meat business growing on the side at double digit rates. It was tiny but people wanted what we were making and uh, so that was our economic driver and that was really our turning point where we said if we're going to do this it a has to align with our philosophies and personal beliefs about how food is to be grown and what we want to put in our own bodies. It has to be economically sustainable for the primary producer. We shouldn't have to work off farm to feed our farming habits. We should be able to earn a decent living from what we do here. And then thirdly, we want to be socially responsible in our community and employ local people. That was before the economic boom in Saskatchewan and when rural jobs were scarce. Um, so that was really where we said, these are the three things that we need to judge our entire farm by and make all our decisions. Is it economically, environmentally, and socially sustainable? With respect to the environment, um, we're on a constant journey towards something better. We're not perfect, but uh, how we raise our animals in terms of animal welfare and what we feed them, those are very important things to us. Also how we process the meat. 
Uh, we are not a massive plant. We're not a huge scale thing. And so we try and make it as best we can for the animals and people working there. Uh, we do have an environmental farm plan on our farm. So we're managing where we're putting our manure and making sure it's not getting into runoff and waterways and things like that. Um, we also are part of the on-farm food safety assurance program that Chicken Farmers of Canada runs for free range chicken production. So all the things we do, all the feed we do, everything is audited and third party approved. It doesn't change what we do every day, but there's someone else saying we do it. Yes, right. checking the boxes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, right. with, with provincial meat inspection as well, um, that's part of our animal welfare side of things. Um, and then in 20, I want to say 2019, yes, we installed solar panels on our farm. So about 25% of our electricity is now generated through solar. We hope to be able to do more as money and time permits. Um, and we'll see what kind of programs come from the government. So we're very excited about that. And we're so we're always looking for what can we do better that still fits into those three pillars of sustainability so that we can keep doing what we're doing. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I, I have to say, it's, it's great to hear that, you know, I think oftentimes people think about sustainability, and they automatically think of, um, you know, they think of the environment, which is great. Um, but it, it really is this, this, uh, you know, this web or this connection between the environment, um, you know, how do we have local economic opportunities out of that? And how do we ensure that there's a social aspect to it? And we're thinking about people and communities and building resiliency in the work that we do. So, um, and you, 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 in, in one of the sentences that you just said, you really hit the the entire purpose of our podcast on on the head there where you said, you know, we're not perfect. We're just we're trying to, you know, get better at these things every day and and do different things as we go and, and learn as we go. And that's um, I think that's one of those things that all of us, whether it's in our personal life or in our business or in our communities, um, you know, there's I don't know, there is no perfect way of doing things right we're we're all just trying to to work our way through it so yeah I would agree and the, that's the gray areas of life and everything but there's always trade-offs like sometimes people ask us well why aren't you certified organic well there's trade-offs there's not a certified organic feed mill in Saskatchewan that can mill the quantity of chicken feed that we need so then we would end up importing protein from the United States and to us, the carbon footprint of that transportation isn't really true to the philosophy of organic. So no, we're not certified, but here's why. And so there's never a clear cut answer. There's always trade-offs, but we're always willing to look at everything and say, which is the best way forward that, that works in the most amount of scenarios for us. <laughs> but that's just one example of how you have to make choices. Yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting that you you brought that up. I wasn't I, I actually wasn't going to ask that question. Um, but I know uh, folks who who work in in produce and in grains and the organic certification process is not always uh, <laughs> it's not always as straight cut as as oftentimes the consumer believes it to be. And so, yeah, I was curious, uh, curious about that. So so what you're saying is um, you would, yeah, you would have to outsource your feed from somewhere outside the province. So you've chosen to 
a reduce your your carbon footprint by by getting feed locally and b um you know likely support local businesses and other local farmers in doing so is that is that kind of how you've thought through that that's exactly the strategy we thought why are we going to send our money south when there's people growing grain right here who are experts that we can support a feed company right here and have less miles trucked to our farmyard. It was that or build our own feed mill, which just wasn't economically <laughs> sustainable on any level. <laughs> and we did try feeding our own grain for a while. Like we tried feeding our own whole grain for a while or in our early days, we thought, well, this this is smart. But it wasn't because we didn't have the right feed mill and processing equipment. So we were feeding whole grain to our chickens and they weren't growing as well. And so then we ended up losing on the yield end of things and it just didn't pencil. So some things you learn the hard way. We've had a lot of those. <laughs> but that's just another example of how to look at things. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's interesting too, what you said about um producer partnerships, I think was the term that you used earlier on was, you know, this idea that you guys, well, you, you've tried, right. You've tried to do things and it's maybe not, doesn't make the most sense economically, or even just in your own personal time, the time you have available to do things. So you've sourced those partnerships with other producers, which is really, um, really neat that you've done it that way. Are most of those producer partnerships local and when I say local um I guess I guess I'm not sure what I mean by local but are most of those um you know local or can you talk about where those producer partners are are located sure so all our producer partners are located within an hour of our farm so pretty darn close um and Kevin and I know each of them personally Kevin my husband works more on the production side of things. So he will work very closely with the farmers and give them feedback on, okay, this animal dressed this way, maybe we need to, you know, change the feed a little bit, or there's a little too much fat or not quite enough or whatever. So there's a very close communication circle there with our partner producers. And the other nice thing about that is the money staying in the local community. We're supporting local farmers we we ask we um we don't follow the commodity market with our pricing we say what does it cost you to grow this animal and add a margin that makes it viable for you to continue doing this because we are asking them to raise animals a little bit differently and it does take longer and it does cost a little bit more um, and so let's find that number where you're making money where we can source that animal from you and we can process it add value to it and give sell it to consumers we make a little bit of money and the consumer gets excellent value um, in terms of the quality and the taste and the provenance of their food. And so that's the value chain we've tried to construct with our partner producers so that we all, you know, you're not going to hit the highs of the market, but you're also not going to get the lows, but you're going to have a steady stream of revenue that you can count on, hopefully, over time. And that has proven to be a more sustainable way of raising livestock. And it's not this feast or famine thing that's so common in conventional agriculture. And that's how we've been able to keep small farmers going. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's incredible. That's really your whole philosophy and how you guys have designed the way that you do things. Because I think about that often. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of folks who, and, and, you know, my husband and I are kind of included in this, where you know, we would like, we're, we're working towards having more of our life be, a, you know, more of our, our life being on farm um, and being able to afford to do that. And you're right that 
the the conventional um you know just as as long as you hit 30,000 acres you'll be able to make a living off of it well that just doesn't that's just not something that we we will ever be able to achieve so it's it's nice that you guys have really put that at the forefront of your business is that you know, you guys value living on your farm and working on your farm, raising your family from your farm. Um, and you believe that the others involved in your, in your sort of, um, you know, your production process should also, you know, be afforded that same, same lifestyle. So, yeah. Exactly. Cause we're all headed for the same thing. We all want to make a living. We want to be able to kind of predict what that's going to be over time. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it works really well. And it's part of our hard learning about when we were back and when we first started, when we were almost bankrupt, it's like, this can't work. We have to change the game. And it's a paradigm shift. And sometimes it's hard for partner producers to get their heads around, you know, especially when prices spike, everybody wants the high. Well, we can, but then when it goes the opposite way, what do we do then? So it is a mindset shift, but I think over time it's worked really, really well. And as a small scale producer, you can ride those things out. You can't ride out massive swings in the market. Right. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. Um, yeah, this is great. So one of the things that, um, you know, I, th I think about is what, especially as you explained it, sort of being a 20 year journey. Um, has it been, has there also been some consumer education, I guess? And what I'm asking is, um, you know, what has that process looked like? Has there always been, um, you know, a core group of customers and, and how have you grown that? Um, yeah, if you could just talk a, a little bit about the consumer side, Melanie, like what has that process looked like? And have you always had that steady and consistent um you know, support or has it grown over time or like, what has that process looked like for you? Right. Well, when we first started, we had a small list of consumers who were buying chickens from the former owners here and word of mouth has been our best friend. And usually what happens is when we first started, it was Monday morning that our phones would ring because people would have had family dinner together on Sunday night. They would have eaten a roast chicken. And then the, their family and neighbors would say, that was so good. Where did you get that? And then Pine View Farms and we'd get the phone call. So it's very organic referral growth, but we've also had to market ourselves in order to speed that up and grow our business. So we've used everything from electronic like email newsletters building our website has been critical um social media in the last 10 years we've also invested in um, billboards and direct mail and radio advertising now in terms of media purchase radio is our singular way to go right now we're complementing we're playing with digital a little bit um, and our goal is always to build buzz, not hype, but just to help expedite that word of mouth so that when people finally say, you know what, I'm ready to eat local, I'm going to make this change. And, and that does take people a while. We all want to do it, but sometimes it's hard. And uh, so our hope is, is that when finally people are at that point and they Google local meat or natural meat or organic or whatever, and Pine View Farms pops up, they're going to say, oh, I've heard of them. I kind of like them. I think I'll start there and they click Pine View. And that's the whole, that's my marketing strategy in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> but it's to really just grow that base of followers over time. And then when they get here, serve them really well. 
um, with good knowledge, with friendly service, to be welcoming and to be to be grateful, to show our thanks to people and create those personal connections. Um, we just went through a whole visioning and mission statement creation again, and we just actually came back to where we always started, which was to give people an authentic connection to their food. And so we educate consumers one at a time as they're ready to hear the story of their food, um, as they're asking questions, you know, why this and not that, or how do you raise a chicken? Or I heard this story, is it true? And um, we want to be objective and well-informed and share that with people as they're ready to hear it. And Kevin and I always say it's this long, slow process of one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I think that's so, yeah, that's incredible that a big part of what you do is really that education, that objective education side. And 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 I, I love what you said about when people are ready to, you know, have a relationship with their food or, or understand their food a little bit more. And I think that, you know, when I think about sustainability and, and uh, you know, much more holistically and, and large, I think if we can get there as a collective and, and whether that's, you know, you, you eat meat every night or you maybe only eat meat once a week, it, it, whatever scale of that you're on, it's that connection to our food and where our food comes from. Um, and if we can't grow it and raise it ourselves, having a relationship with those that do grow and raise it and, and have that more direct connection to our food system. So, um, but yeah, it's really great that you guys have, have, built that into your business and then that's also important to you so um so just as a as a way to leave us off melanie what's next for pine view and i and i don't know if all of this you'll be able to share but do you guys have a um you know a vision board or <laughs> what does the future look like for pine view farms that's a really good question um coming off this pandemic year where just everything kind of blew up um, and it was uh, a rocky, crazy, amazing journey. Uh, we're regrouping a little bit. Um, we have a tremendous opportunity in front of us right now because of the pandemic, people have started paying attention to their food, particularly in the early days. Um, and so we have an opportunity to meet a lot of new people what that's going to look like in terms of a new product offering or service offering, I don't know. Um, but we want to serve those people and serve them well so that we can create a habit out of this, that it wasn't just a one-time pandemic home delivery and a panic purchase, that they got value and flavor and a connection. And if we can build on that, that helps create this sustainable food system where people are looking local first. Mm -hmm. And you can't buy bananas locally for sure. And you're going to want to eat one, but where you can look local first, there's so much here for all of us. And so Kevin and I really, I guess if there's one big, hairy, audacious goal we have is to be a part of building a sustainable food system in Canada and particularly at the local level. What we are really good at is making meat. We are good at making local meat and that's what we're going to stick with and focus on how that will manifest itself, who knows? Uh, we, we don't know yet because we're just we're just getting through this pandemic at the moment. Um, but we're here to stay and we'll see where it goes. Um, and as I said earlier, we're on a journey to something better. So 
we recently just switched all our feed to GM free, um, things like that. It's little steps along the way as we see what consumers ask for and what we're capable of on our farm. That's awesome. That's such a perfect way to, to wrap up this conversation is, you know, really the, the lofty goal is building a, a, a sustainable food system, a sustainable local food system in Canada. Um, but you guys are really, really doing an exceptional job at that and continuing to build that here um, in Saskatchewan, near Saskatoon and, and local for, for us who are here locally. So um, thank you so much, Melanie, for, for sharing about Pineview Farms and for sharing your story and the history. Um, I know I learned a lot. So if if folks want to uh, to find you guys, if they're listening to this podcast and they have any questions or or want to know where to to look, wh- what is the best way for people to engage with Pineview Farms? Well, the first place you can look is our website at pineviewfarms.com, and you'll also find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Pineview Farms. Awesome. Sounds great, Melanie. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes so that people have all that they need to to reach out to you guys. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. Oh, it was my pleasure. I'd do it again. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, as well as Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of episodes, as well as more information about Sage, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions. Catch you next time.